transitions and all that other stuff, I'm telling you, the presence of God is no stronger there than it is here. Amen. So take advantage of the worship that we have and worship God. He's in the house. Can somebody say praise God? Praise God. Amen. I'm not just saying that. I mean that. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to preach what will hell be like. Everybody say what will hell be like. Um, before I even get into the scripture, let me just share this. Uh, there's a lot of stuff out there, folks. Uh, there's a lot of weird beliefs. There's less and less in people that believe in a real hell. Uh, there's a lot of churches out there now that you will not hear the term hell mentioned. You will not hear the devil and sin. And people just don't want to go there. But I want to tell you something. We better know that there's a different side of eternity other than heaven. Amen? And we better know and fully understand what Jesus is saving us from. Someone say Amen. Uh, when a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, don't not go to the door. Go to the door. It's a chance to share Jesus. You got, all you got to do is ask one question, and it'll get them off their script. And that one question simply is this. Do you believe in hell? Every Jehovah's Witness does not believe in hell. And they'll tell you, well, no, there's no hell, which then leads you to your second question that you ask them. Okay, well, why are you knocking on my door? What are you saving me from? And I've had them say, well, I, wanna make, well, I just want to present a better life. And I've said to them before personally, well, what does that matter? If we're all going to go to heaven, what do I need a better life for? I can fix it later. And they don't have an answer. And then I really start having fun with them. Because you usually get an older one and a younger one or a younger two, and they're kind of in training. And I normally look to the other two and I say, now listen, according to what you all say, there's only 144,000 getting into heaven. Suppose heaven's already got the 144,000. Where does that leave you? And some of them kids, their eyes were getting big. And man, I'm about to start witnessing. And the older one would go, okay, it's time for us to go now. I'm like, no, come on in. Have a seat. Let's talk about this a minute. But my point of the whole matter is this. If you don't believe in hell, then what did Jesus save you from? We have to understand that there's a real hell. And there is, it's not soul sleep. It is not, well, it's just one big party. I've had people tell me, well, me and all my buddies are going to be partying down there. We'll be down there together. I'm sorry, but you won't be partying. You might be down there, but you won't be together, and you won't be partying. So let's just dive right into this. What will hell be like? Poke your neighbor and say, what will hell be like? Uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. If you've been in church very long, you're very familiar with uh, with this, and if you're watching online, I want to encourage you to give shoes as well, and I want to encourage you to share this. Everyone needs to like this and share this. We're online again. We I think we fixed our our online our live uh, uh, live stream issues. So like and share. Everybody say like and share. That's right. When you get home, take this our church book Facebook page and our church YouTube page and like it and share it. Okay. Luke 16, verse 19 through 31. And if you've got it, I want you to stand for the reading of God's word. Because we're going to see what Jesus says about this. If you were to read this, you'll find that these words are in red. This is Jesus speaking here. And many people will say, well, this is a parable, and I disagree 100%. In parables, he never listed names, and he was never so precise as far as a person. And I, I really believe this is a true story as to something that happened. 
There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. In other words, he lived in luxury. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments, everybody say torments. You'll notice I have things underlined here, and I want you to see how many times that you will find here in this passage that hell is not a place of soul sleep, it is not purgatory, it is not a place where we float around like Casper the friendly ghost and we feel no pain or have no bodies. But being in torments in Hades, that is the word for hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they come, lest they also come to this place of torment. Notice it's four times the word torment is used. Abraham said to him, No. Uh, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Moses and the prophets represents the Old Testament. So in essence, if they're not going to listen to the scriptures, they're not going to listen or be persuaded, though someone rises from the dead. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your presence, which is beautiful in here. I thank you. Spirit of God, that you are here. And now for the next few moments, arrest our attention. Anoint me to speak forth your word, God. In spirit and truth and not in word and tongue only, but power and in deed. Anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, let it fall in the good soul of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I'd like for you to hold your Bibles out in whatever form you have and boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace... I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, and my body, and my mind to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody as you're being seated. Praise God. On one occasion, an agnostic lecturer, that's someone who doesn't believe in God of the last century, announced that he was going to give an address on hell. He declared he was going to prove conclusively that hell was a wild dream made up by theologians to scare people into serving God and to trick gullible people. As he was launching into his subject, a half-drunken man arose in the audience and boldly said these words, Make it strong, Bob. There's a lot of us poor fellows depending on you. If you're wrong, we're all lost, so be sure you prove it clear and make it plain. I want to tell you something. It is true. Hell is a very real place. It's not a 
figment of someone's imagination. It's not a fairy tale land. It is a real place in eternity. There was a couple that was in Minneapolis, and it was in the icy time of the year, January, February, much like it is around here sometime. They decided they wanted to get away for a long weekend and head to Florida. They were going to stay in the same hotel they stayed in 20 years earlier for their honeymoon. Well, they couldn't get their schedules to work out very well. So the husband went down on Thursday and the wife went down on Friday. Well, he got there. Now, this was a number of years ago. This is the 90s. And in the 90s, if you had a computer at home or in a hotel room, it was a big deal. Well, this, this hotel had a computer kind of business center. And this is kind of when it was getting big for chat rooms and emails and things. So he thought, you know what, I'll send an email to my wife. So he sent an email to Jen Johnson at AOL.com. Jen being J-E-N-N Johnson at AOL.com. He mistakenly was, he was trying to send that to Jen Johnson. And he sent it instead of J-E-N-N, he sent it to J-E-A-N Johnson at AOL.com. Back then you had to type in all the letters. He got one letter off. He sent the email and it went to a widow woman in Houston, Texas, whose Baptist husband had just died and they had just come back from the funeral. She decided to open up her email and see some condolences and figured there were some people that were going to you know, send condolences via email. And she opened it up. And when she did, she promptly shouted, screamed, and fainted, passed out in the floor. The son came running in to find out what was going on with his mom. And he looked on the computer screen which read, Dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Your loving husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> That'll make you faint. <laughs> Hell is a subject rarely talked about or preached from pulpits anymore. People don't like to mention the word. In some circles, if you go to preach there, they'll tell you, you don't use the word hell, don't talk about it, don't talk about sin, don't talk about the devil. We don't want anybody to feel bad. We don't want anybody to feel uh, 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 condemned. We don't want anybody to feel offended. We just don't go there. So basically, you got nothing else to preach. You can't. How can you preach Jesus? Because they don't know what they're being saved from. But no amount of reasoning can nullify God's sure word, and that is this. There is a hell for those that are not believers, and there is a heaven for those that are. Sir Francis Newport, head of an English infidel club, had this to say on his deathbed. You need not tell me there's no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its fires. Wretches, seeks your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. Wow. When I was coming up in the ministry in Virginia in the 1990s, there was a hospital there in town that a preacher was trying to reach this man, and the man was in the hospital. He was not doing well, and as the preacher came in and started talking to him about prayer and the Lord Jesus Christ, he cursed him, told him he wanted nothing to do with his Jesus, get out of here. Finally, the preacher said, okay, have it your way. He walked out of the hospital room and he walked down towards the elevators. And as he's walking towards the elevator, about halfway down, the hospital room is about four, four rooms down from the elevator. He got about halfway and the man started screaming, ah, 
Ah, my feet are on fire. My feet are on fire. As the preacher walked a little closer to the elevator, he said, my legs are on fire. My legs are on fire. When he got to the elevator, he said, my whole body's on fire. Preacher, come back. Preacher, come back. I'm on fire. Ah, ah. And he was screaming terror. The nurses went running. The doctors went running. The preacher turned around to walk. And about the time as he's walking back, the man was screaming, I'm on fire, I'm on fire, I'm on fire. And by the time the preacher got to turn into his room, the man died. I believe the man was feeling hellfire before he ever got there. The question has been asked, how can a loving God send people to hell? Pastor, how can a loving God send send someone to hell? How can he do that to them? Well, the fact that God is love makes hell necessary. You see, E.O. Maskell once said it this way. Hell is not compatible with God's love. It is a direct consequence of it. God loves us, but he will not force his love on us. To force love is to commit an assault on someone. And God gives us the privilege and the autonomy to decide whether or not we're going to live for him. G.K. Chesterton said it this way. Hell is the greatest compliment God has ever paid to the dignity of human freedom. In other words, God gives us the choice to choose whether or not we want to go to heaven or we want to go to hell. Now, I want to tell you, as I get into this passage now, we are never told, listen very closely, we are never told that this rich man ever committed some heinous sin. We are never told that he was a great adulterer. We are never told he was a murderer or some uh, uh, habitual liar. We're not told that he was in some grievous sin somewhere in his life. We are just simply told that he did not go to heaven, that he went to hell. He may have even been a regular temple attender. But I want you to notice that the Bible says he was a rich young ruler. He had money, he had social status, and he had power, and he had a position. He was somebody in the community. He was a ruler. People knew who he was, and he had authority. He had position. Everyone knew him. He had social status. Everyone knew he had money. He had all the things that this world will tell you. He had life. He had the dream life, but he didn't end in a dream place. And what that tells me is that no amount of money in the world can keep a person out of hell. No position can keep a person out of hell. No authority can keep somebody out of hell. No social status can keep somebody out of hell. No matter how many likes you get on Facebook, no matter how much money in your pocket, no matter what position you arrive to, whether it's the president of the United States or king of a country or queen of a country, none of that will matter when we take our last breath. There's only one thing that will matter. Did we give our life to Jesus Christ and live for him? He's the only one that can spare us from this awful place. Because hell doesn't care how rich a person is. Hell doesn't care how talented a person is. Hell doesn't care how much you attend church or how many small groups you led. Hell will welcome anybody into its awful tentacles. The only way to avoid that awful place called hell is according to Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. So that leads me to my first point, because I want to debunk every theory that you might have heard about hell. 
how it's a party, how we're going to be sleeping. It's just soul sleep. How, man, well, Pastor, when I die, I'm just going to go to oblivion. I, I just will cease to exist. Uh, uh, or, Pastor, I'm going to be with my buddies. And, well, I'm going to go to, I know what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to go into, uh, into a, a holding place, and I'll get things straightened out there, and then I'll go to heaven. But I want to tell you that number point number one is this. Hell is a place of torment and horror. Everybody say torment. Verse 23, the Bible says in hell or Hades, which is the place of departed souls. Watch, watch this. I'm just going to keep pulling up scriptures from this passage. Luke chapter 16, verse 23. You look on the screen. And being in torment. Everybody say torments. In Hades, that's the word for hell. Be lifted, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Hell is literally a dark, obscure place. Matthew 25, 30 says, And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place of darkness. It is a place where evil spirits go and souls go who do not live for the Lord. The Bible says that he was in a place of torment. That word torment there literally means torture. It means acute pain. It means anguish. It is a place of torment to the highest degree. As a matter of fact, it has the illusion or it has the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 it's symbolic of the pain that you would give to somebody when you're trying to give information out of them. You torture them to get information out of them. That's the same kind of pain that it is there. But this pain doesn't last just for a few moments. This pain doesn't last for a few days or a few months or a few years or even a lifetime. This pain lasts for all of eternity. It is not a place of soul sleep. It is not a place where we drift around as some, uh, as some ghost somewhere and just we live in oblivion. It is a place of punishment. It is a place of pain. As a matter of fact, Luke 12, 47 through 48 says it this way. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So we find that they'll be beaten with blows, we find that it's torture, and we find that that it's not a pleasant place to be. But pastor, how do you know that you even can think right in hell? How do you know someone can even see or hear in hell? Well, let me just explain that to you now. Because the five senses work perfectly in this place called hell. Luke 16, 23 says it this way. And being in torments in Hades, look what the Bible says. He lifted up his eyes and saw. So the first of the five senses is clearly listed, and that is sight. This man was in hell, and he was able to see. Now, it's a dark, obscure place. It's not a place of light. So they tell you that if your eyes, if you look into a dark place, pitch black, for more than a day, you'll actually go blind because your eyes are constantly searching for some sort of light. And if it doesn't find any, it'll burn itself out. So here he is in a place of total darkness where he's hearing gnashing of teeth and weeping and these things. And it's very clear that he has eyes and he could see. Now, seeing Abraham further aggravated his misery. 
because he could see paradise from afar off, separated from the place of the righteous. Now, this is what's interesting to me. Somehow or another, he knew there was something good on that side of the gulf, and he was on this side of the gulf. Can you imagine the torture of that? Luke 16, 24 says this. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham. Everybody say, Father Abraham. That indicates, and it's very clear, that he was a Jew. The Jewish people thought they had a handle on God, and because they were God's chosen nation, that they were automatically de facto into heaven with God. So he's calling Abraham his father, indicating he's a Jew. And what that lets me know, folks, is that not even your heritage can keep you out of hell. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter who your grandpappy is or your grandmammy. It doesn't matter if your whole family served God. You cannot ride someone else's coattails into heaven. It doesn't matter who your child is. It doesn't matter who your son or daughter is. It doesn't matter all the good. You could have the greatest preachers. Your granddaddy could be Billy Graham. Your, your great-granddaddy could be John Edwards. You could have the greatest family lineage in history known to mankind and far as Christianity goes. None of that matters because hell is a personal choice. It's an individual choice. I'm reminded of a story. I had a professor when I was at Lee University. He taught one class, sociology. He was the guy in Chattanooga they would call if someone was going to kill themselves. He'd go talk them out of it. Or if it was a hostage situation. He was the kind of the, the talker guy. He was a funny guy, and he was a great sociologist. And he, he came up with this story. He, he shared this story. He said, in Cambridge, England, where the great school is there, he said, you're in a class. There's 350 students. The professor didn't know you from Adam. He said, on the final exam, he said, you got 10 more minutes, and then you've got to turn your final exam in. Well, the young man looked at his work. He looked at the time. He realized he wasn't going to have enough time. So he thought, I'll just keep going. So it got down two minutes ago. Hey, two more minutes, one minute. Finally, okay, everybody, you need to bring your final exams. People began to get out of their chairs and bring the final exam down. This young man kept writing. After a couple of minutes, the professor looked up. And he said, hey, young man. I said, you got to quit writing. Now, you need to bring that on in now. You've already had a few extra minutes. Now, you come on, bring it in. He just kept writing. Finally, after a couple more minutes, he said, hey, young man, I told you, you need to come on and bring your final exam in. Finally, after another minute, he said, that's it. You're getting a zero. You bring me your final exam now. Well, the young man just kept on. Finally, he finished. As he way down through the big auditorium, the professor's telling him the whole way, you bring that thing over here because you're getting a zero. He walked up and he said, sir, he said, do you know who I am? He said, no, I don't know who you are. He said, sir, I, I need to make sure you don't know. Do you know who I am? He said, I don't know who you are and I don't care who your daddy is. And I don't care how much money you have. He was thinking that way. He said, I want to be sure you don't know who I am. He said, I don't know you from Adam. I don't know your family and I don't care who you are or where you're from. Now, you turn that in right now, and you're going to get a zero. I don't know you. I know nothing about you. The young man said, well, that's good to hear. He picked up half the stack of papers, put his paper in, set it down, and said, have a nice day. <laughs> Hell doesn't care who your daddy is. Hell doesn't care who your grandmama is. It's a personal, individual decision to accept Jesus Christ 
in order to avoid that horrible place and live for him. Everyone must make their own choice. But he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Everybody say, have mercy. The word mercy is compassion. What that lets me know is that this rich man who was in hell had the ability to speak. He had intellect. He had the ability to think. He had reasoning ability. This is not some mindless ghost floating around somewhere. This is a person that had emotions. He said, have compassion, have mercy on me. He could feel the emotions. He could feel the physical pain. The rich man is never seen as calling on God. He did not ask to be released from hell because he knew he couldn't escape. And he does not know, uh, he never asked to go where Lazarus was because he didn't want to be part of a holy place. He just said, have compassion on me. He had the ability to think. I want you to imagine how awful that would be for someone to find themselves in hell and to be able to think, to be able to reason, and to never be able to numb their minds. Luke 16, 24 says it this way. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may watch this. Dip the tip of his finger in water. Dip the tip of the finger. That's moisten the water. That's the extremity, the uttermost part. Do you know how thirsty you have to be to ask someone just to dip the tip of their finger in water that it may cool his tongue? How many of you have ever been cooking? Maybe you're, you're making some gravy or oatmeal or something and you want to taste it. What do you do? You stick your finger in and you what? You want to get a taste. But that taste is not very fulfilling. You're just trying to figure out if it's where it needs to be so that you can eat. Can you imagine to be in such horrible agony and torment that you want someone to simply moisten the tip of their finger in water to cool your tongue. That lets me know that you have taste. So not only can you see, you can taste. In verse 24, it goes on to say that he wants to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Everybody say, cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Go, go on past, keep going, go to the next one. There you go. Perfect. Cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So you know he can feel. So the third one is touch. So not only can he see, not only can he taste, now you know he can touch. He can feel something. He has eyes. He can see. The Bible says he lifted his eyes to see. The Bible says that uh, dip the tip of his finger and touch my tongue. So we know he has a body. He's not just a head rolling around there with eyes and a tongue. It's a full body. Just like you have a full body on earth, you will have a full body in the afterlife. It's very clear he has a physical body. And the Bible says he's tormented or in anguish or in insupportable uh, distress. Why? Go to the next verse if you will. It's the same verse, but I've highlighted the last word. He is tormented in this flame. People will tell you there's no fire, there's no flame, but the Bible is very clear. There is a flame and it is hot. And it burns. And that lets me know that not only will you have taste and touch and those things, but you'll also have smell. Have you ever smelled someone burn their hair? Have you ever smelled flesh burning? Can you imagine multiplied millions of people to never get that fire and brimstone and burning body that will burn forever yet never be consumed, never get that smell out of your nose? 
Can you imagine how awful? Now, I'm reminded of a story, and I might get in trouble this later, but I'm going to tell it anyways. Holly called me one day when I was at the office, and she said, Dallas, you need to come home. I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm not sure. I said, what do you mean you're not sure? She said, I, 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 don't, I think the, I, the grill just exploded on me. I don't know what to do. I said, well, have you gone to the bathroom to look? She said, no, not yet. I'm terrified. I came home. She had turned the grill on and turned the gas all on and couldn't get it on. So she decided to go in the house while leaving the propane gas running the whole time and find a lighter. She finally found the lighter, came out, and plugged and wouldn't catch fire. So she thought, well, let me just look down and see what's wrong. She lit it. Well, at that point, of course, you know what happened. When I got home, she had no eyebrows, no eyelashes, and most of her hair was burnt. We didn't get the burnt hair smell out of our back porch or our house for days, it didn't seem like. Now, we laugh about it now. I tried not to laugh, at least in her face then. But I was like, my Mona Lisa, no eyebrows. You're looking good, baby. She burned herself. And the, the smell, the smell is horrible. Fire is an image of the severest pain that we know. I am told that burn victims, when they're going through rehabilitation, depending on how bad it is, that it's so severe and it is so excruciatingly painful that they'll go crazy from it. Can you imagine being in a place where you're on fire forever? Never get a relief. You say, well, that's that one passage, Pastor. Well, let me show you another one. Jesus speaking here. Mark 9, 43 through 48. I want you to count the number of times that you hear about fire. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, the worm doesn't die. People that are in hell get a worms, eat their body forever and ever, but they're never consumed. I don't know how it works, but that's just the Bible. Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maim, lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, a real place, into the fire, a real substance that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. How many times did Jesus say, into the fire that's not quenched? Six times. He mentions very clearly, it is a place of fire. It is an unquenchable fire. Today, firemen can get out electric fires. They can get out gas fires. In some certain circumstances, they can even get out forest fires. But I want to tell you, hell fire is a fire nobody will ever put out. There's no water there. It is an awful place of pain. Verse 25, Luke 16 says, But Abraham said, Son, again, indicating as a Jewish person, your heritage don't save you. He said, remember. Now, leave this up for just a moment. Everybody say, remember. Remember. Matter of fact, don't leave it up. Let's go to the next one. Remember means to bear in mind, to recollect, 
or to have a mental grasp on the good things. Again, speech, intellect, thought, reasoning ability is all there. Remember, I want to tell you the worst part of hell will be people's memory, which is perfectly intact. Can you imagine always having the memory of how things were on this earth? Can you imagine being in a place of constant anguish and torment and remembering your family that made a decision for Christ? Remembering the good things and the good moments you had in this life. Remembering the smiling faces and the joy in your heart. Is any, I don't know about you, this does not sound good to me at all. Remembering what was enjoyed and done in this world only to never be able to experience that ever again. To remember a loved one pleading, please give your heart to Jesus and live for him, only to never be able to see them ever again. Remembering someone greeting you at the church doors and saying, welcome, come on in. And you came in and you intolerated church, but you never gave your life to Jesus. And you think, what was I thinking? To remember the good moments in life, but never ever have the hope to experience them again. That's what hell is. Nothing else to do day or night. Listen, part of the torture is not just the fire and the pain of, of, of hellfire, but part of it is nothing to do but to be in anguish, to be in torments, not only physically, but to think and remember all the good things that you once had. He said to him, I want you to remember. That means he had the ability to do so. And that leads me to point number two, and that is this. Hell is eternal separation. Everybody say it with me. Hell is eternal separation. Luke 16, 26. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fix. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Can you imagine getting to a place where you'll never, ever see your loved ones again? Never again. To ever see a beautiful flower, a beautiful mountain range, or the fresh snow on the ground. A place with no more rest, no more relief, no more pain, freedom from pain, eternal pain forever and ever. No matter how bad your pain has been on earth and what you've been through, at least you have the hope that one day it will end. But in that place, it will never end. No more beautiful sunsets, no more rainy days, no more sunshiny days. No more smiling faces, no polite thank yous, no kind gestures, never again ever. No more light but complete darkness, no hope that things will ever get better. Can you imagine the utter hopelessness? What an awful place. No matter how bad someone has it on this earth, at least they have the hope of an afterlife with Jesus. At least they have hope that maybe things will turn around in my life. But in that place, it is utter hopelessness. You are damned forever. Hell is a place of hopelessness. No more polite thank yous. No encouraging words. Listen, the only thing they will hear is screaming and pain and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed. Watch this. Into the everlasting fire. That means it never goes out. Prepared. Watch this. For the devil and his angels. Listen. In hell... People are not guests, they're intruders. Because hell wasn't made for you and I. Can you imagine having to exist in a place where you're tormented for eternity? And you're not even a guest? Tormented not just physically, but mentally, 
Because you were deceived and you knew you sold out for sin. That's why Jesus said, Matthew 16, 26, But what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you on earth ever give up, uh, take on this life to go there to that place? There ain't nothing worth that. The memory. The awful memory that things could have been different. I, I believe the rich man, haunted by the face of Lazarus, probably in hell now, imagining that he was helping the, the Lazarus, that he was, the rich man was it. I believe he's visualizing, boy, if I would have just helped him out, if I would have just served God, if I would have just lived for him, I wouldn't be in this awful place. How about Ananias and Sapphira, who are haunted by the memory in hell of their lie and their hypocrisy, and they're probably imagining, boy, I should have done things different. I, I could have done things. If I would have just told the truth, if I would have just been real, if I would have really served Jesus, I wouldn't be here right now. How about Judas Iscariot who absolutely is in hell and he's probably haunted by the memory of walking with Jesus for three years. Healing people. Raising the dead. Casting out devils. And he's probably in hell right now going, I, imagining wishing I had not sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. How about King Agrippa in the Bible haunted by the memory of his statement to Paul. Where he said in Acts 26, 28 through 29, then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am. That means a Christian, except for these chains so they're not in bondage. I bet you King Agrippa is in hell right now, reliving that 2,000 years later, saying, why did I say almost thou persuadest me? Why didn't I say I'm going to be a Christian? I believe he's probably visualizing himself walking down the temple aisle to give his life to Jesus. And I'm telling you, there will be people that are hearing me today that maybe are watching me online in the future. And you will one day, I hope not, but one day find yourself in hell. And you'll remember this preacher saying, please, give your life to Jesus Christ. Please, you don't want to go to this awful place. And maybe you'll find yourself down in hellfire wishing and imagining I'd come down the aisle of an altar and I gave my life to Jesus. Can you imagine being tormented and haunted by this memory forever and ever? Man. And that leads me to my last point, and that is this. Point number three, hell is permanent. Everybody say hell is permanent. Luke 16, 26 says this. And besides all this, between us and you there is a, watch this, great gulf fixed. Once someone's in hell, there is no escape. The great gulf here means chasm or vacancy. There's no way of passing from one place to the other. And the word fixed, the great word fixed means strengthened, firm, or immovable. In other words, it is so established that it will never be movable. It will never be passable. It will forever divide heaven and hell. There is no hope. Folks, there are no fire escapes in hell. There are no fire extinguishers in hell. No one has ever been able to put hellfire out, and nobody ever will be. I want to tell you something. There is no way out of that awful place. So now you're looking at me, and you're saying, Pastor, what are we going to do? Well, I want to hit a couple couple more things and then I'll close it down. Luke 16, 27 through 28 says this. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, 
that you would send him to my father's house. I'll get back to that in a minute. But I beg you, therefore, Father. Look at Luke 16, 25. We're going to go back two verses. The Bible says, but Abraham said. What that means is that Abraham talked, and the rich man was able to hear what he said. So that leads us to the fifth sense, and that is hearing. He was able to hear. Everybody say he could hear. So he could see, taste, touch, smell, and hear. He had his cognitive thinking, his reasoning skills, his remembrance. He had emotions. Basically, he was the whole person in the afterlife that he was in this life. And look what Luke 16, 27 to 28 says. He said, then he said, I beg you, therefore. Everybody shout out, I beg you, therefore. Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Watch this. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Watch this. He knew he had brothers on the, on the earth. He knew he could never go to them again, but he said, and he knew he could never get out again. So here's what he said. Please, please, please go witness to my brothers so they don't come to this place of torment. The greatest prayer meeting anywhere is in hell. I'm going to say it again. The greatest prayer meeting anywhere is in hell. Please go to my five brothers so they don't come to this place of torment. Look what it says. Again, go down to the next verse. It's the same verse, but I've got highlight, I've underlined something else. He said, to my father's house, for I have five brothers. He remembered his family. Again, his memory is perfectly intact. Again, reasoning ability and speech and those things. He says, I want you to testify to them because I'm in an awful place of torment four times. But then Abraham answers him in verse 29 through 31. And he says, listen. He said, they have Moses and they have the prophets. That's the scriptures. He said, uh, they have the scriptures. And he says, somebody come from the dead, they're not going to get saved. They got to believe the scriptures. Only obeying the word, repentance, and accepting Jesus will change them. There is only one way to escape hellfire. And the answer is given by the rich man in hell. Are you ready? Do you want to hear a man from hell tell you how to get avoid that place? How many wants to hear that? Is anybody alive? Bueller, Bueller. Is anybody awake? How many want to hear a dead man in hell tell you how to avoid that place? You ready? The rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes them from the dead, watch this, they will, I find it interesting that you go to many churches in America and they don't want to tell anybody to repent from their sins, but a man in hell will tell you that's the only way to avoid it. The rich man realized that the only way out of hell was repentance before you get there. Well, if you don't want to listen to this preacher, listen to a dead man burning in hell tell you the only way to avoid that place is repent of your sins now and give your life to Jesus. This is good preaching today, amen? The rich man had eyes, he had a tongue. I'm wrapping this up now. He had a physical body. I want you to listen. Listen very closely. He had eyes. He had a tongue. He had a physical body. He had memory, intelligence, feelings, emotions, a will, a voice, reasoning ability, concern for his family, and all other soul passions and spirit faculties that we have on this earth. Hell is not soul sleep. 
It is not some holding chamber. You're not floating around like some ghost. You are a real person in either heaven or hell. Now, next week, you'll enjoy it a lot better because I'm going to talk about heaven. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And I'll close with a story. One day when Vice President Calvin Coolidge, before he was president, was presiding over the Senate. The Vice President presides over the Senate. Two senators got into it and one told the other one to go straight to hell. Well, that really bothered that senator. So he went running up to Calvin Coolidge and he said, sir, you're the moderator. He said, I I need you to do something about this. Did you hear him? He said, I got to go straight to hell. Vice President Calvin Coolidge was leaping through his book. He looked up and he said, well, I've read the rule book and you don't have to go. I've read the book, and you don't have to go. Let me say it again. I've read the book, and you don't have to go. I'm going to say it again. I've read the book, and you don't have to go. I'm going to say it again. I've read the book. And you don't have to go. (laughs) I'm about to get my dance on. I've read the book. And you don't have to go. I've read the book, Dwayne. And I don't have to go. Do you know why? Because my book tells me I was on that way to hell. My sin was leading me there. But along came God's only one and begotten son, Jesus Christ who came to the earth and lived for 33 years. And he got nailed to an old rugged cross, and he nailed my sin to that cross. And he paid the price so I don't have to go to that place. Glory to God. And because of what Jesus did, his sacrifice, and the blood that ran down Calvary, I thought I weighed my options and my choices, and guess what? I've chosen not to go. Hallelujah.